tax day is coming. Oh, no. But if you sign up for Robinhood Gold's IRA with a 3% match, you can get up to $195 for the 2023 tax year. Oh, yeah. Sign up at Robinhood.com slash boostbytaxday to get the biggest contribution match on the market. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC. President, we have a national emergency. This is one of the things that we can shoot first and ask questions later. Uh, normally you can't do that. All of a sudden these trees started moving out of the way. They parted for me. And then I came out into this opening and there where I saw Jesus Christ. Welcome into End Time News. I am your humbled host, W. Dean Shook, bringing you the news the mainstream media is never going to touch. However, today we're not going to do news. Instead, there's been a darkening of the world. There's conflict. There's wars. Things are getting deeper and darker all of the time. I want to talk about these. I want to bring these up and let us try to understand the world that we live in. I think everyone who has one eye open can see that the entire world is in a state of trouble and conflict in one way or another. Their wounds are getting deeper and deeper all the time. It doesn't seem to be enough time between conflicts to gather ourselves or let alone do any healing. The deepest and most serious of these conflicts are not confined to the boundaries of nation-states. They affect everyone, everywhere. Even minor disputes between competing countries can quickly turn into a world crisis. It's triggering the slaughter of innocents, rape, ethnic cleansing, economic collapse, the ruin of ecosystems and hatred. Every one of these acts directly affects the quality of our lives, no matter how far away you feel from the actual fighting. Now, usually what follows these disasters is people try to pick up the pieces and start over. And while it's good to offer food and clothes and shelter to the victims of these things, they also need to develop skills in resolution and recovery and reconciliation, regeneration. It requires a dismantling of systematic source of conflict with groups and cultures that promote this violence. So let's take a look at this. In political conflicts, I think it's common for each side to label the other as evil. Yet, 
What is evil to one seems to be good to another. Evil sometimes originates in blaming someone other than ourselves, blaming someone else. It allows us to externalize our fears, vent our outrage, or punish our enemies, or coerce them into doing what we want them to do. Most of this kind of attitude nowadays seems to come from dictators, whether they're third world country dictators or our own dictator here in America. The 20th century taught us very clearly what a world with dictators would look like. It was the bloodiest of all centuries. Because of Hitler and Stalin and Mao, it was bloody not only because of wars or genocide or abortion, which is one of the world's largest ongoing genocides, but because of the number of people killed inside their own countries by these dictators has reached 169 million Dictators kill more of their own citizens than foreigners. They cause the refugee flow. They cause poverty. They cause a lot of the 20th century's problems, from dictators from North Korea, China, Pakistan, Middle East, North Africa, the current Islamic Caliphate, the growth and brutality of ISIS. They're the cause of the refugee flows. They're the cause of terrorism, direct and indirect. They're the cause of wars and poverty. They are together and individually the major security threat to the world. Our problems in the world are not political. They're religious, ideological conflicts. We're going to break some of these down and at least attempt to understand why we're being seen as in the last days. Because the world's getting darker every day. We can't go on like this. I think it's pretty clear. The signs of the times are telling us that we're in a world that's getting darker by the minute. There's always been evil. There's always been bad people in the world. The number and variety of evil is advancing at breakneck speed. So what is increasing so fast besides greed, dishonesty, lies, cheating, stealing, violence? Man has always, by nature, served himself in many ways and uses these things to advance his own agenda. Let's look at some of these things. What about things like sex trafficking? I think this is a good example. Young girls and boys are being forced into the sex trade. Now, while this has always existed, it's gone beyond anything in the past. In 2014, there were 466,949 entries for missing children under the age of 18 into the FBI's National Crime Information Center. Eight million children worldwide will go missing this year. Two million children will be victims of commercial sexual exploitation. Some of them will be under the age of one or two. That's right, under the age of one or two. Based on data gathered from 155 countries, offers the first global assessment of the scope of human trafficking, at the launch of the report in New York, the executive director of UNODC, Antonio Costa, said that many governments are still in denial. There is even neglect when it comes to either reporting on or prosecuting cases of human trafficking. He pointed to the fact that while the number of convictions for human trafficking is increasing, two out of every five countries reporting say they had not recorded a single conviction. Not one. According to the report, the most common form of human trafficking, 79%, is sexual exploitation. 
The victims of this exploitation are predominantly women and girls. Surprisingly, in 30% of the countries which provided information on the gender of traffickers, women make up the largest portion of traffickers. In some parts of the world, women trafficking women is the norm. The second most common form of human trafficking is forced labor, 18%. Worldwide, almost 20% of all trafficking victims are children. And in some parts of Africa and the Mekong region, children are the majority up to 100% in parts of West Africa. What about drug use? We're told in the Bible drug use will increase. Well, just one example is heroin. At current levels, world heroin consumption is 340 tons, and seizures represent an annual flow of 340 to 350 tons of heroin into the global heroin market. Of that total, opium from Myanmar yields up to 50 tons, while the rest, some 380 tons of heroin and morphine, is produced exclusively from Afghan opium. While approximately 5 tons are consumed and seized in Afghanistan, the remaining bulk of 375 tons is sent worldwide via routes flowing through and into countries neighboring Afghanistan. What about corruption and economic crime? Is this on the increase? Well, corruption is a complex social, political, and economical phenomenon. It affects all countries. Corruption undermines democratic institutions, slows economies, contributes to governmental instability. Corruption attacks the foundation of all democratic institutions by distorting electoral processes, perverting the rule of law, creating bureaucratic quagmires whose only reason for existing is the soliciting of bribes. Economic development is stunted because foreign conflict investment is discouraged. Small businesses within some of those countries find it impossible to overcome the startup costs that are required just because of the corruption. Globalists say the United Nations is the only way to institute global laws to fight this kind of corruption and that only global governance can have an effect globally. And speaking globally, the crisis in Ukraine, Russia's simmering tensions with Europe, the strained Chinese-Japanese relations are all evidence that the world's biggest powers have once again started engaging in strategic power struggles. Now, although not all of these conflicts are explicitly violent in nature, the probability of a regional spillover was the issue that's most spooked policymakers about global stability both in the long term and in the short term. The threat of war in the world is like it's never been before. The U.S. is number two behind Russia in its nuclear weapon stockpiles with 7,400 warheads. Third is France with 300. The U.S. still leads the world in military spending with more than $7.6 trillion spent on the military and homeland security since 9-11. Washington is also a major threat to its own citizens. The U.S. is the world's largest incarcerator of people, both in numbers and in proportion to its population with 2.3 million people in prison. 2.3 million people in prison. In America, the decline of the family, 
Nearly half, 48% of American children, are born to a mother who's not married. 43% of American children live without a father in the home. About 50% of Americans over 18 are married, compared to 72% in 1960. Americans are having fewer children. The fertility rate fell to a record low of 62.9 births per 1,000 women in 2013. And in a lot of states, there's now more deaths than there are births. The decline of education. Compared to nearly all of American history, the average American school teaches much less about important subjects like American history, English grammar, literature, music, and art. Instead, schools are teaching much more about social justice, environmentalism, and sex. Well, most of the people think that uh, the world's problems are political. I think the world's problems are religious. The religious and ideological conflicts in the world is something we're going to look at. I'm going to take this short break. When I come back, we're going to break down this idea of religion. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Tell us, they said, when will this happen and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? Mm. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are the beginning of birth pains. For then there will be great distress, unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equal again. If those days had not been cut short, no one would survive. Immediately after the distress of those days, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. When you see all of these things, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them home. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. There is a sense in the world, there's a sense among believers, there's a sense among unbelievers, there's a sense among all peoples that things are unhinged. The Middle East is unhinged with uprisings, revolutions, and where is it heading? How are followers of Jesus to relate to all of these things? How do they relate to biblical prophecy? America is in spiritual, moral crisis. Values are changing, and so rapidly. I mean, that have not happened in the history of man. How are level-headed, responsible Christians to relate to the testimony of the biblical prophets and the unfolding of chaos throughout the world? 
not just believers, are wondering, is this a sign of the end? Hi, folks. Have you noticed the federal government and police departments are using drones for everything? Drones are expensive. They're hard to fly. It can take up to a week just to learn to make a drone hover. Not anymore. There's a new generation of drones that are not only affordable, but very easy to fly. Now, you can have your own personal drone, anything from a micro mini that'll fit in the palm of your hand, right up to a full-scale model, 10 inches in diameter like the model I have, the V949 Pro. Comes with a 6-axis 4-rotor blade and an HD 2.4 camera mounted on the bottom. These drones are made of a space-age polymer. They're durable. And don't worry about crashing your drone. Replacement blades for this drone from the website are only $1.80 for a pack of four. That's right, I said $1.80 for a pack of four replacement blades. You can also get an extra long life battery. This battery allows you up to a half hour of fly time with a maximum speed of 40 miles an hour. Have your own personal drone and you can get all of this for under $70. If you go to the website, wdeanshook.com, and click on the banner on the webpage, you can get from 7 to 22% off your personal drone. It's shipped as a kit. You can be up and flying your own personal drone with an HD camera within a half hour. Come to the webpage, wdeanshook.com. Click on that banner and get your discount today, wdeanshook.com. We are living in unprecedented times, constant wars worldwide, nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. They're genetically modifying our food. Increased violence as the heart of man grows cold. Ever-increasingly tyrannical governments around the world. Stay connected. End Time Prophecy News with W. Dean Shook, your connection to the signs of the times. All right, thank you for that break. I appreciate that very much. Now, there are people who say... Religion is the cause of all the world's problems and wars. These are usually the globalists. And they're suggesting that you ban religion. But that's not practical. While I would agree that religion rules the world, the blame seems to be going to exceptionalism. That any time a religion says they're the only true religion, that conflict is inevitable. Christianity, Islam being the two largest religions, and both being exclusive, globalists say is the root cause. But to ban religion? They're suggesting there are ways to effectively do that and still keep religion. Lately, there's been signs of top-down push for the globalization of religion as well as globalization of politics. This would give authority over the world spiritually. The most obvious drive came last September when former President of Israel, Shimon Peres, met with the Pope to propose the formation of a new UN of Religions, which the Pope would head. Perez suggested the organization should wield the unquestionable authority to declare what God does and does not want, and this is in order to combat religious extremism. But the complications are huge. 84% of the world's population has a spiritual faith of some kind. Together, the Christians, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, all religions are followed by more than 5.3 billion people. And a diverse mix of folks believe a smaller minority of faiths. 
Now, is spirituality playing such a big role in the lives of most of the world's population? It would seem that global governance will inevitably take religion into account. Some theorists have suggested that a one-world religion will emerge as part of this new world order. That the powerful people in the global elite want a monolithic world faith, a global power over the world's spirituality, so that religion and their followers can be influenced through a central authority, and it would mean a model of top-down globalization from multilateral organizations in politics and economics and trade, and this would be all rolled into spirituality. Now, this issue has come up many times before. It's not something new. The Catholic ecumenical movement would do this. Let me give you an example of how ecumenalism works. Ecumenalism basically says that all paths lead to God. So let's establish, first of all, whether you like it or not, whether you agree with it or not, religion rules the world. I think we can all agree that knowledge is power. The more you know, the more power you have to make the right choices. Let me give you an example of this ecumenical movement. If you're talking about God and someone is opposed to your faith, you may ask them, what do you know about Christianity? If the answer is a list of vague talking points, completely lacking in any understanding of it, then this person has no power to debate it because they don't understand it. You can't debate what you don't understand. So how can they believe in the validity of their own belief system if they know nothing of others? Does that make sense? So knowing and understanding other belief systems like ecumenalism will either push you out of a flawed belief system or it will confirm the faith that you're in. You have to try to understand these systems from other points of view. Otherwise, you can't debate it. This understanding is going to give you the knowledge and the power to know if you're right or wrong. So if you're a Christian, a real Christian, then you've experienced a conversion. It's by this conversion that you know you're who and what you say you are. However, in other religions, there is no life-changing conversion like there is in Christianity. Other religions rely on the completely dependent on the belief of their doctrine and some works that you have to do to be a faithful follower. You have to dress a certain way or do certain things or follow a list of rituals. As Christians, we don't need these kind of works to get us to God. We need works as a result of our salvation from God. It's a consequence of our relationship, not the cause of it. It's something that comes from us as proof of our relationship. So if you've had a conversion and God has changed your life from the inside, then this is no longer a belief system. It's now a fact because you've changed. Well, let me ask you this. Do you believe that I'm here talking to you and that I'm alive? You don't need to say yes. I believe you're alive. It's a fact. If it wasn't, I wouldn't be talking to you. So when you as a Christian say, here is what I believe and explain your faith, you're opening it up to debate because you're saying it's a belief system and not a fact. In history, mathematics, science, philosophy, there's room for competing and conflicting theories. Christianity is not a belief system. If you're a converted Christian, it's now a fact. And you need to present it that way. For a converted Christian, your relationship with God is not up for debate. It's not a point of view or an opinion or a philosophy. It's, I am converted. God fills my every being. 
not by what I did, but by what he did. So if we believe this ecumenical system that says all roads lead to God, then that part is true, at least in one sense. No matter what road you take, they do lead to God. You will stand before a sovereign God and give an account for your life and the choices that you've made. All roads do in fact lead to his judgment. If there was any other road or path to God, Jesus would have never gone to the cross for the redemption of our sins. Jesus went to the cross, took on himself the sins of those who put their trust in him, who put their trust in him, and delivers us from the wrath of God that falls rightly on those who ignore his gift. That's why he calls himself in John 14, the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. Now, if you're talking about all roads lead to God in the sense that everyone will be saved, then we're talking about something completely different. At this point, the doctrine you follow and what you believe really does matter. The foundation of ecumenalism is a debate about God. Let me share a story with you that will help illustrate this. This is from Zoroasterism. This is from Buddha. And this is a story that Buddha had told. This is the idea of ecumenalism. Here's what it says. A number of disciples went to the Buddha and said, Sir, there are many wandering hermits and scholars who indulge in constant dispute, some saying that the world is infinite and eternal, and others that souls die with the bodies, and that others that it lives on forever, and so forth. What, sir, would you say concerning them? The Buddha answered, once upon a time, there was a certain Raja who called to his servants and said, Come, my good fellow, go and gather together in one place all of them of Safethi who were born blind. Show them an elephant. Very good, sire, said the servant. And he did as he was told. He said to the blind men, Assemble here. Here is an elephant. And to one man he presented the head of the elephant. To the other its ears. To the other, a tush. To the other, a trunk. To the other, a foot, a back, a tail, the tuft of the tail, saying to each one that this was the elephant. When the blind men had felt the elephant, the Raja went to each of them and said to each, Well, blind man, have you seen the elephant? Tell me what sort of thing is an elephant. Thereupon, the men who were presented with the head answered, Sir, the elephant is like a pot. And the men who observed the ear replied, The elephant is like a winnowing basket. Those who had been presented with the tusk said it was a plowshare. Those who knew only the trunk said it was a plow. Others said the body was grainy. The foot, a pillar. The back, a mortar. The tail, a pedestal. The tuft of the tail, a brush. Then they began to quarrel, shouting, Yes, it is. No, it's not. An elephant is not that. Yes, it's like that, and so on, till they came to blows over this matter. And the Raja was delighted with the scene. Just so are these preachers and scholars holding different various views, blind and unseeing, in their ignorance they are by nature quarrelsome, wrangling, disputers, maintaining reality is thus and thus. Then the exalted one rendered this meeting by uttering this verse, of uplift. Oh, how they cling and wrangle, some who claim, 
for each preacher and monk the honored name. For quarreling each to his view they cling. Such folks seek only one side of a thing. This is the idea that all believers worship the same God, that all paths lead to God. There is no exclusiveness, that we all see God in a different way, but it's all the same God. Well, I'm telling you right now, the God that tells ISIS to slaughter and behead, bury alive, cut off the hands and feet, or burn alive, anyone who gets in their way as they rape women and kids is the same God that I have a relationship with That idea is absurd. They do not worship the same God that I do. This whole idea of the Buddha presenting this elephant and then saying, you just seeing different parts of it, it's all the same God, is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard because I can compare it today with Isis and their God, Allah. This is not the same God. I don't care if it's a foot, a tusk, a back, a tail. There is no similarity in any way, shape, or form. And nobody's going to tell me any different. This ecumenical movement might work for some people, but it's just the most absurd thing I've ever heard. I'm going to take a short break here. When I come back, we're going to take a look at Tony Blair's Faith Foundation, his globalization idea. The whole way that they're trying to give authority to the Vatican, to have the Pope be the ruler of this new ecumenical movement, this one world religion in a new world order. I'll be back right after this message. You're listening to End Time News. GoDaddy offers everything you need to make a name for yourself on the web, from domain names and website builders to complete e-commerce solutions. We've earned our place as the world's number one accredited domain registrar by delivering world-class products at competitive prices and support them with industry-best services delivered 24-7, 365. We're proud to serve our customers from locations around the world. Sign up now at wdstrip.com and get your domain name as low as $5.99 a year. Sign up now at wdshook.com. Go, Daddy. Go, Daddy. Hi, this is W. Dean Shook. This is a personal commentary of things that need to be said. I've been pondering a question. Why do people who say they're Christian talk the talk, but when put under pressure, they don't walk the walk? We've been letting the cultural left get away with murder. I'm not just referring to the murder of our own children through abortion, or the mercy killing of the old, or suicide by calling it death with dignity, but also the broad cultural acceptance including among Christians, of two stupid and dangerous ideas that have allowed the left to dominate the cultural decisions for decades. First, Christians are told very loudly, we can't legislate morality. This argument is inevitably used to justify the legality of something blatantly wicked or immoral, like abortion. Yet. Countless Christians say that while they're pro-life, they do believe in Christian ethics. They don't think trying to impact public policy or bringing it to the public square because we're told we can't legislate morality. But we're forgetting something. 
All law legislates morality. All laws are put into place because of a value judgment that something should be permitted, restricted, regulated, or banned. But Christians are leaving these decisions to someone else's code of morality, and someone else's values are being used as a guiding principle for governance. If we don't fight for things like the lives of our unborn children and demand legal protection for them, then we're allowing the government to legislate their morality. We're allowing those who claim that the right to destroy human life on demand is right and is moral. Why? Because a new morality has been legislated and ours has been replaced. The cultural left, while silencing Christians with the demand that we stop trying to legislate our morality, is attempting to do that precise thing. When they scream that gay marriage should be legal and accepted, they're demanding this because they say it's right and good and moral. They're saying that to deny marriage to homosexuals is discriminatory, therefore wrong. And the solution, they tell us, is for the government and the courts to step in and ensure that this wrong is righted, that this injustice is corrected. Now, it's not that they don't think morality should be legislated. They simply think that Christian morality should not be legislated. The left has tried to silence Christians by saying that morality is subjective, if it even exists at all that it's okay if you believe that, but that only means it's right for you. Other people must remain true to themselves and do what's right for them. Well, the truth is, morality cannot be subjective, or it's not morality. Right and wrong cannot be subjective, or they cease to exist. Crimes like rape and murder should be illegal because they're immoral. Christians argue they're immoral because God, the lawgiver, has said they are. The cultural left cannot claim that banning abortion is immoral. Why? Because they cannot claim anything is immoral. That each individual has their own morality. It's whatever is right for them. And inevitably, their claim that something is or is not moral is based on one thing. How they feel about something. And the hypocrisy here is blatant. We are in a time when what's good is being called evil and what is evil is being called good. Society has no standards. And the result of that is a massive, rapid decay of society. Turns out, what we're seeing today is the fruit of pride, greed, selfishness, and a total disregard for anyone but self our manufacturer, the one who created us, has given us a manual on how to operate this life. It's a book of standards by which we must live. It's the operating instructions on how to make this life work and work correctly. How do we know when we've moved outside of these standards? What happens is things start going wrong. When things begin to stop working the way they're supposed to, bad things start to happen. Evil steps into this void and establishes its standards. The standards of evil. Standards that lead to destruction. We as Christians 
need to either step up and start to reinstate some standards, or we're going to continue to watch our lives, our society, and the world in general crumble. Don't just talk the talk. Stand up. Be what God has told us to be. Walk the walk. It may be the only way to save ourselves. Do you think the media is biased? Maybe they're leaving something out, or there's something they're not telling you. Now, you have a source for the truth in the news. W. Dean Shook, End Time News. Your connection to the signs of the times. And thank you once again for allowing me that break. I appreciate it very much. We're going to talk about Tony Blair's Faith Foundation. It's a focus on faith and globalization. In January 2014, Blair wrote a widely republished essay stating that his foundation seeks to propose a change to policy of governments to start to treat an issue of religious extremism as an issue that's about religion as well as politics, to go to the roots of where a false view of religion is being propagated, to make it a major item on the agenda of world leaders to combine effectively to combat it. He said this is a struggle that's only just beginning. And just like Perez, Blair's argued religious extremism is the prime cause of conflict in the world today. World leaders must unite to address it. Also, like Perez, he claimed a political authority should have the power to determine which religious views are false and which ones are true. One of the aims of Tony Blair's Faith Foundation is the remaking of major religions, just as this colleague of Barack Obama will remake global society. The foundation wants to try to expand the new rights using the world's religions for this end and adapting these views with new duties. These religions will have to be reduced to the same common denominator, which means stripping them of their identity. No exclusiveness. And this project threatens to set us back to an age where political powers was ascribed the mission of promoting a religious confession or of changing it. In the case of the Tony Blair Faith Foundation, this is also a matter of promoting one and only one religious confession, which means a universal, global, political power that would be imposed on the entire world. The arguments of Blair and Perez ignore how the foreign policy of the U.S. government and its allies have really formulated Islamic extremism since the 70s. When the CIA funded and armed the Mahadeen in Afghanistan to draw the Soviets into that proxy war, a tactic which gave rise to the Taliban and Al-Qaeda, which were created by America during the Russian-Afghan war, well, in a similar vein... The current foreign policy of the U.S. government and its allies has created ISIS. This is a fact that retired U.S. general almost admitted in what was apparently a Freudian slip. After Iraq's military and government were pulverized, NATO and the U.S. turned its attention to Libya. It bombed it into a failed state. While backing jihadist rebels to topple Gaddafi, both countries formerly had secular governments which kept religious extremism at bay. Well, when Libya fell, jihadist fighters and weapons began flooding into Syria, which also had a secular regime. And now the U.S. government's trying to topple it. Well, when ISIS crossed the Syrian border, 
in 2014. Syria wasn't able to stop them. In Syria, where a civil war continues to rage this very day, the U.S. government and its allies have been arming and training so-called moderate, well-vetted rebels to overthrow the Assad regime. Despite these rebels having linked to jihadists, most of these weapons and fighters funded by the U.S. government have ended up in the ranks of ISIS, which also happens to be fighting Assad. There are also recent reports that Iraqi government arrested U.S. and Israeli military advisors in that country for directly aiding Islamic terrorists there. The connections between the U.S. government and ISIS are obvious. Even while the U.S. government is supposed to be fighting ISIS in the Middle East at the same time, it seems that there's a geopolitical double game that's being played. The pattern of arming and backing extremists, fighting them later, has been going on for so long that it's hard to believe these side effects are purely accidental. What's the solution? It's called Problem Reaction Solution. It's a process where the rulers create a problem, provoking a reaction from the public who demand that something be done, which then allows the government to bring in its solution to solve the problem that it created. The war on terror, a case in point. By continually fueling the fires of extremism, it's keeping the war going. This justifies continued military expenditures, foreign interventions, the reduction of civil liberties on the home front where they're building a security state. And since the enemy, terrorism, is vague and interchangeable, this war has no end in sight. But the war on terror serves multiple ends. While the political and the military impacts are more understood, the spiritual impacts are not quite as clear. It's made religious extremism, presently of the Islamic persuasion, which is a threat, but used as the excuse for today's global conflict. Not the foreign policy which is fueling it, funding it, and enabling it to thrive. In the case of the war in the Middle East, there's evidently an attempt to pit Christians and Muslim societies of the world against each other in a clash of civilization, which serves the military-industrial complex. Now, I think it's interesting that there are certain prominent atheists some of who are vehemently opposed to all religions, have been supporting this militarization. The solution? A one-world religion, governed by a global one-world authority. They say that's the only solution. So here's a simple proposition. Governments are no better than the society that they raise from. Remember this. If there was a time this country needed the intervention of God it's now. We can and should pray for America as a whole. But remember, when God sets out to change a nation, he begins by changing people. It starts with individuals. Don't look for others to solve our problems for us. This is up to people like you and I. We are the beginning. We are the ones that are called to take the first step. If we don't step out, it's not going to happen. We are the starting point. Here in America, John Adams said our Constitution was made only for moral and religious people. Washington, in his utterances, concurred. Today, morality and faith, religion is being formalized. 
and we're taking body blow after body blow by hostile isms. The U.S. isn't being cast down by natural disasters or plagues or invading armies. Too many Americans are shredding the nation's fabric. If God isn't done with America, let's hope that America isn't destined to be part of an object lesson on how a once great nation squandered its favor and blessings to this sin-filled world through lack of self-control and service of self. People say we're at peak oil. Peak water, peak food, the world can't sustain more people. That there's trouble feeding the people in the world right now. I say these are excuses for people who refuse to take any responsibility for their own actions. If there's a way to put the blame on someone else, people by nature are very quick to blame the other guy. No one seems willing to change the direction of their own lives. They want to live however they want, at any cost. And let someone else change their lives, they say. After all, it's their fault, not mine. So as the world spirals down this black hole of failure, mankind argues about whose responsibility it is to throw out the anchor. Well, here's the question. Are we getting lost in the details, trying to solve every little problem when the problems in this world are legion? Matthew 24 we're told, and you shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famine, pestilence, and earthquakes in diverse places. All of these things are the beginnings of sorrows. The beginnings of sorrows. God knew this would happen. He tells us that without somebody throwing out that anchor, our fate will be sealed. He said, if you return to me, I will return to you and heal your land. This is just the beginning. There's more to come. It's going to get much worse. And let me tell you this. There's only one way to have any real peace in these times. And that's with a relationship with the Prince of Peace, the Christ Jesus. Thank you for joining me for this discussion. You can email me at contact at wdeanshook.com. The homepage is wdeanshook. Twitter is wdeanshook. Facebook is wdeanshook. And as usual, when the dust settles and the smoke clears, I'll be back with another episode of Truth in the News. Thank you. You can get these full stories and more at wdeanshook.com. That's wdeanshook.com.